This morning, Isaiah chapter 43, the title of this message is, uh, Behold, I will do a new thing. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 14, let's just pray together for the Lord's blessing upon the Word of God this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the songs, for the remembrance, for your presence among us today. We just ask, Lord, that your name would be glorified. Lord, that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word. We pray for your anointing, Lord. Lord, both to preach and to hear your word this morning, Lord. And Lord, we pray that faith would be in our hearts, Lord. Lord, that we would rise up, Lord, in this day, Lord, knowing that you desire to do a new thing, Lord, amongst your people. We pray all these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 43 and verse 14. Just as we read this this morning, I believe it's important that we understand the context of everything of what we're reading. I don't want to take anything out of the context of God's Word, uh, but we want to apply it correctly to our lives. But I do believe it's a desire within God's people today to see something new. That, that word new thing means something fresh from God, and we need something fresh, saints, this morning from the Lord uh, amongst us and individually. And we can look to God and see his dealings and trust his character as we turn to God's word this morning and believe him for a new thing in our lives and in the church today that God would come in his great power. Isaiah 43 verse 14 says, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea. This is His testimony, and this is His record. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. Or that simply means, that word quenched or means to extinguish. Or just in our modern languages, they're snuffed out. That's the enemies of God. Verse 18 says, Remember you not the former things, neither consider the things of old. old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself, and they shall show forth my praise. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word this morning. This, I just want to take some time to talk about this book uh, and the the bears the name of the prophet Isaiah. And this wonderful book named after him, the author we know, Isaiah, known as the fifth gospel uh, and because of his revelation of Jesus Christ and the gospel ministry and the work of the cross. Isaiah's name means the Lord saves. Uh, he is the prophet known as the prophet of salvation. And nowhere else in all of Scripture will you find a more profound, detailed prophecy concerning the cross and the suffering of Christ. But in Isaiah chapter 53, and it was quoted this morning, it is a wonderful insight. 700 years before Calvary, the prophet Isaiah receives the revelation of this Messiah that would come. 
For over 50 years, his ministry covered four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Tradition tells us that he was martyred by being sawn in two, and it is referenced in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, in that great hall of faith, he was sawn asunder. For 39 chapters, this book mirrors very much the whole canon of Scripture that's quite remarkable. 66 chapters for 39 chapters, and the greater part of his ministry were largely dealing with the judgment that was coming. God is bringing judgment. And for these 39 chapters, he would speak of judgment against the nations, against Israel, against Judah, and he would bring forth that judgment. Of course, in all of that, there are some precious promises and prophecies concerning the Messiah and amongst all of those judgments. For example, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, it tells us there in the year that King Uzziah died, here's his revelation. I also saw the Lord seated upon the throne. He was high and he was lifted up and his train filled the temple. He brings forth some of the most profound prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And it says of the increase of his government and peace, there's no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth, even forever. And the seal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. These 39 chapters, the first 39 chapters are a reflection of the Old Testament 39 books. We read of judgment from chapters 13 right through to chapter 23. His judgment against Babylon, judgments against Assyria, uh, judgments against Moab, Damascus, Ethiopia, Egypt, Edom, Arabia, Jerusalem. It's speaking of God's judgment against the nations. But the real grievance in the heart of God was the judgment that he would bring upon his own people, for his own people had disobeyed him and turned from him. And so Isaiah is speaking of the Babylonian captivity that still had not come, but it was looming. It was coming towards them. God, it's, it's very much like today. You know, it says it's appointed on the man once to die, and after this, what? The judgment. the judgment. But you know today that very, very few people are really thinking about the judgment of God. Even though you'll share with them, talk to them, mention and quote the scriptures, you know, after death, what next? After death, where do you go? After death, the Bible says there's judgment. And it's like, I know we've all experienced it. It's like that means nothing. It's, and so the prophets were coming and they were proclaiming that judgment is looming. God is coming. He's going to judge the nations of the world. He's going to judge this, this whole universe. He's going to come as judge. He's come as savior. Next time he comes, he comes as judge. A lot of people just not even interested in the judgment of God. It, it means, you understand, you know, it's just, it means, well, Isaiah was very much like that. Here's a prophet that's prophesying, and for the early part of his ministry, he's, he's simply saying there's judgment coming. God's going to judge the nations. He's going to judge his people. They've turned from him. And so largely people thought nothing of it. They didn't even take it. There was no thought that what the prophets... Actually, in the end, they cut him in half. That's what they done with him. They weren't really interested in what he had to say. 
And so God is speaking of judgment, but his real grievance was his people that had turned away from him. And so he begins to tell them, as the other prophets, that Babylon would come, that they would be taken captive, that judgment would fall upon Israel. Judgment was coming, and yet very few ever heeded that stark warning that would come. In this book of 66 chapters and the reflection of that whole canon of Scripture, 66 books, 39 books, Rods, he's speaking of judgment. And then the 27 that follow after that speaks of a completely new dispensation. This is the new thing. Isaiah 39 chapters concerning those impending judgment. And after the prophet's death, the Babylonian captivity would come. A season of great hardship, judgment, hopelessness, and affliction and trial. If you just turn back to Isaiah 39, because this is where it finishes up this morning, just as I want to bring this uh, introduction to this message. But Isaiah 39 and verse 5, this is how it closes off, if you like. It says there, Then said said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day. It will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. That's how that whole... That whole end of those 39 chapters come. This whole thing, it's very difficult as that word was being preached. Do you think of Isaiah, the prophet? It looks like nothing like that at the minute. Everything looks fine. The the temple's in its place. The the whole religious thing's carrying on as normal. And you have a prophet in the middle of all of this. And King Hezekiah, this is all going to go. This is all going to disappear. This is God's judgment is coming upon it. And so he sends his prophets, but they rejected the prophets. Now it brings us to really where we want to go this morning because it brings a wonderful truth and revelation of a completely different dispensation, one as opposed to judgment. In chapter 40, if you just look at the opening word, you end chapter 39. What's the first word in chapter 40? Comfort. Comfort the whole thing is about to change. There's about to be a profound change in everything. Now you have to remember, for Israel, they still have their temple. They still have all the religious activity. The Babylonian judgment hasn't come. But now he's speaking to them in the context of all of this. Remember, he's speaking to them concerning their day, but also he's speaking to us concerning our day. And this is relevant to us. And you say, how is it relevant? He's speaking about Israel. I'm going to come to that in a minute. But now he's about to bring a whole new revelation of a dispensation that would come. But also, Israel, when you find yourself in Babylon, when you find yourself in the depths of despair, when you've been carried away, when the the house of God has been destroyed and you're in a foreign land, we can relate that to everyone in this room. If you're going through a trial this morning, you're going through a valley this morning, you're you're in a place that's really difficult and it's dry and it's barren and you don't know where to turn or who to turn to, and you've come through a wilderness season or a season of great discouragement, then we can look at this this morning and we can find out something about the character of this God that we serve. Because Jesus doesn't change. So how he dealt with his people then, we can look at his character and understand that's how he's going to deal with me today. Because Jesus doesn't change. Not right? So here the whole thing opens up with this word comfort. 
Comfort. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort ye. Comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Now we're opening up the dispensation that would come ultimately. If you look beyond the Babylonian captivity and their deliverance that would come in the physical. But Isaiah is now proclaiming something that would come 700 years later through the dispensation of grace. That the Holy Spirit would come and bring the revelation of all the work of Christ on the cross. And he would reveal it to men and women's hearts. Everything of what he's done. That he'll save you. He'll deliver you. He'll keep you. He'll wash you. He'll he'll bring you home to heaven. One day, God's going to send the deliverer. And so now he says, speak comfortably to, to my people. Who is the comforter? The comforter is the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, if you turn over as he says, speak comfortably In John 14 and 16, Jesus said, I pray, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. In John 14, just in that chapter, verse 26, he says, The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. And so we know the comforter in the dispensation of grace is the Holy Spirit. And he will come to you. And when he comes, he is going to bring all the revelation of what Christ has done on the cross to your heart. That in every trial, every trouble, every circumstance, you can trust the character of God. You can trust in the merits of the cross. You can trust Jesus. So in Isaiah 40 verse 1, let's read, if you go back there, Isaiah 40 verse 1, this whole new dispensation, this new thing opens up. He says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. When are they going to be reading this word? They're going to be reading this word when Babylon, the Babylonian captivity takes place. This is This is way before it's ever happened. So the word's been given in a season where there's no trouble. Everything's okay. I'm going fine. Everything's fine. I have no troubles. I'm just going along here. But now he's speaking. You're going to need this word when the trouble comes. And so Israel are going to read this word in the middle of their 70 years of captivity. They're far from home. They're slaves. They've lost everything. They've lost the temple. They've lost their practice. They've lost their worship. They've lost their, their, their whole religion. And now they're going to have to find out something about this God, that he's faithful. And so they begin to read these words, Comfort, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For he has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Then verse 3 says, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who is he referring to? Now we see the prophecy concerning, he's speaking directly to Israel, but now he's bringing us into this application. Now there's a dispensation coming, and that will be introduced by John the Baptist. A voice is crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Your deliverer is coming. And so the whole thing begins to break open. Salvation is coming. Israel, deliverance is coming. I'm about to do something fresh and something new. 
And so we see from chapter 40 right through, right through to 66, it's now speaking of an age where God is promising deliverance, salvation. He is going to come in His power. He's going to bring His people out. He's going to bring them through. And it's speaking not only of Israel in their day and that time, but it's speaking of the dispensation in which we're in. So how do we apply that to our lives? Well, that's all to do with Israel and Babylon and King Cyrus. I don't understand. It's just everything to do with us. This is everything because what you'll find in these scriptures, you'll find out who you believe in. How do you tell someone that's so discouraged? How do you lift someone that's so downcast? How do you look to someone who's in the midst of great trial, in the midst of, a, of the deepest storm maybe of their life? How do you encourage them? Is it just with words of men? Is it just with just a pat on the back and everything's going to be okay? You know, we need to know this morning this Jesus. Because who's going to bring us through? Who's going to deliver us? Who's going to heal us when we're sick? Who's going to be with us in the storm? And if he does not deliver us out of it, friends, I want to tell you, he promises us he's going to be with us in it. He's not going to leave us. He might deliver us from it. But I can tell you something, if he does not deliver us from it, he's going to be with us through it. He will not leave us. So we had to comfort them to know this captivity is coming. Trials are coming. Tribulation is coming. And, and all the things that we are experiencing today of all the seducive spirits and all the waves of heresy and, and everything that's coming in today. But I want to tell you, friends, we got to know who we believe in. And when we look at the character of God, so how are they going to be encouraged in the midst of a Babylonian captivity, 70 years, how were they going to be encouraged that God hadn't finished, that it wasn't over, that it wasn't just batting down the hatches, brother. We're just going to walk through this, heads down. I'm going to tell you, friends, the church of Jesus Christ is going to leave this planet in victory, and that victory is in Jesus Christ. Now remember this, these people are reading these words in the darkest period of possibly their history. It is the darkest time they're beginning to read. You think of those believers back in that day, and Israel are saying, comfort, we're in Babylon now for 60 years. We're slaves over here. We're away from home. And now they're reading Isaiah's words that a prophet spoke a couple of hundred years ago. Comfort ye, my people. Your iniquities pardoned. You've received everything that you're going to receive. But there's a voice that's coming. That voice is going to bring deliverance. And that voice is going to bring salvation. So they begin to turn to the word of the living God. God was going to bring deliverance to a king we know in their day called Cyrus. But Isaiah is speaking not only of them back in the day, but of the full revelation of a day of deliverance that would spring forth. There was going to be a new thing. So we see in this that contextually it is said in the time of that captivity, but eternally for us it is the proclamation of the mandate and the mission and the ministry of a mediator of a new covenant and his name is Jesus Christ. So this morning, saint, listen, if you find yourself in a time of great distress or great trial, you're, you're in a time... Listen, I believe judgment is on our nation. There's judgment on our nation already. You say, how do you know that? You see, when every foreign religion begins to invade a land, and every foreign pagan faith that has infiltrated the United Kingdom, that is judgment. 
You understand? That is already the judgment of God upon us. Because we have forsaken God, and the nation that forsakes God is going to be turned into hell. So the judgment's already upon us. I know that's not necessarily popular in a politically correct, multi-faith society, and all this liberal harmony stuff. But I want to tell you, the judgment is upon us as a nation, not the people of God. We are not appointed to wrath, but we are appointed to the salvation that he's going to deliver us. But the judgment of God's upon the rise of militant homosexuality is the judgment of God. It's already upon us. Friends, I don't know about you, but I believe there's something significant. And I haven't been to see it, but... You know, that pre-marked building that's in the news every day, should we pull it down, keep it up, and everything else? But there's something significant that only a number of weeks ago, they were the main supporters of that Stonewall movement that, 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 that proclaimed that whole agenda of homosexuality. Listen, we're not here to preach against homosexual people. We're here to preach the gospel. The gospel works for all men. But there is an agenda behind that. And when they display all that in that building, and then just a number of months later, that that building stands as a shell, completely burnt out. And anyone I've talked to that have been there, if you've been, I haven't been, don't really go into Belfast much, but anyone that I've talked to said there's like a death in the center of the city. There's like a morning. You stand, and everyone's starting to go quiet, and they look at this building. And friends, thank God that nobody was hurt in that fire or anything like that. But it seems like there's a symbol in the center of our city that demonstrates to us this place, it's death, it's burnt out. And in the midst of that, the judgment of God is upon our nation. And it is upon our... But what do we do in the days when we see these things? we got to know who God is. we got to know this Jesus. we got to know how He deals with His people And we look at his character and his person. Trust me, God has got everything in control this morning. And we got to know who he is. And you know when it says, my people will be destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, a lot of people think, well, that must be to do with, do you understand eschatology, the end times, how it's all going to work out? You pre, med, post, everything. And that's not what he's talking about. It's not understanding all the great doctrines and and all the great ideologies. And and it's good to know these things to a measure and in the right context. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about my people are destroyed because they don't know me. They don't know Jesus. So when the trial comes and when the difficulties come and when the the real hard time, because they will come, the tribulation will come to our lives on an individual basis. Who do we believe in? What is this Jesus like? Paul writes, if you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, he's talking about his sufferings, his trials, and we know all about it. He, he writes it all out in the profound things that he faced for the sake of the gospel. But in 2 Timothy 1 and 12, he's writing to young Timothy about these sufferings that he's going through. And what does he say? 2 Timothy 1 and 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. I'm going through great sufferings. But nevertheless, I want to tell you something. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. We'll never be ashamed of Jesus and the power of the gospel, the blood of Jesus, the cross, which is the centrality of the faith of Christ. Because then, why is he not ashamed? What does he say? Would you read it with me this morning? For I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded. 
Listen this morning. Just stop there. Would you read that phrase again? Paul says, For I know whom I believed, and I am persuaded. You see, friends, he knew in whom he was believing. When you're in the trial and in the difficulty and in the suffering and it's against you, you got to know. you got to know who you believe in this morning. Our trust isn't in man. Our trust isn't in, in a church denomination or an independent church. Our trust is in Jesus this morning. And so he says, and I'm persuaded with this. And folks, this morning, I want to ask you, do you know who you believed in? Are you persuaded this morning? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Most people end there. But it goes on to say, but the Lord, you know what he's going to do? He'll deliver them from them all. And the afflictions will come. The trials will come. If you're hearing a gospel today that says it's all health and wealth, and there's never any trials or ever any troubles, and nothing ever goes wrong, and if anything goes wrong, it's the devil. It's not the gospel. He never promised his friends that it wouldn't be, that it would just be a walk in the garden. He's promised us that he'll be with us through it all and he'll never leave us or forsake us. And are we persuaded this morning in whom we believed that he, that's Jesus, he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Then he said, now hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Paul is persuaded. Hebrews 11 and 13, these people of faith in that great hall of faith, it says, these all died in faith, not having received their promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. What are the promises? Friends, the promises is this word. It's the word of God. They embraced them and they confessed that they're strangers and pilgrims on an earth. And that's exactly what we are. We are pilgrims and strangers in this world. First of all, we got to know who he is. He's going to speak to a people who are in Babylon and in a very difficult time. But you know what he wants to reveal? He wants to remind them of who he is. That's the first thing. we got to know who he is this morning. For I know whom I believed in. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him, friend, as your savior? But do you know him as his character? And that's what Isaiah had to bring to the people. you got to know who I am, that I am more than able to do this. So you go back. We're going to look at this uh, over Isaiah 40, right through to our reading. But Isaiah chapter 40, if you turn back to there, we've got to know. So God begins to reveal to them who he is. Now remember where they are. They're at the bottom, friends. They are in the depths of despair. They're in Babylon. It's awful. They don't know where to turn to. They have no hope. There's no sign of any deliverance or salvation. It's dark. It's dismal. It's depressing. It's everything of all of that and more. So God has to remind them of who he is and what he's able to do. So in Isaiah 40 verse 9, Isaiah begins to preach and they're reading this sermon, if you like, in the midst of a dark time. O Zion, that bring us good tidings. Get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Hold on. Where are they? They're in Babylon. Is this real? I'm in a prison. Tim, you don't understand what we're going through. You don't know what we're facing. You don't know what decisions we have to make on Monday or Tuesday of this week. I don't know, but I know he knows. And so it says, lift up your voice with strength. That's against everything of what we are in the natural. How many people feel lifting up their voice when it isn't going very well? Be honest. You don't feel like doing it. Isn't that right? But it's not feelings. It's faith. We have to know who he is. 
Lift up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord come, and he's coming with a strong hand. His arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He's going to feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arm. He'll carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those with the young. Who, and here, this is who he is this morning, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. 70% of this earth is covered in water. And it tells us here, he's measured that in the hollow of his hand. You've got to know who he is this morning. You've got to know who he is. He's meted out the heavens with a span. How do you measure the heavens? He just measures it with a span. Listen carefully, friends. Then it says, and he comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. And he's weighed all the mountains in scales. And the hills are in a balance. He has everything under control. He's an old man. He's got all the water and there's plenty of it around us, but he's got every bit of it. I think Brad told me the other day, many billions of water falls from, from the sky every, every day or every hour, every moment. Billions of tons of rain is poured out in this earth, but God's got every bit of it just in the hollow of his hand. So he's beginning to reveal to them when we're struggling against everything and all the wee things that we face, hold on a second, You've got to look to me and remember who I am. So then he goes on in verse 13 of the same chapter. Who's directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who's the counselor? Or who has taught him? With whom took he counsel and who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. What does he say in verse 15? Behold the nations, all the nations of the world, there is a drop of a bucket and they're counted as small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles. It's a very wee thing. It's a very little thing. Look at what he says. This is who I am. All the nations of the world, and you get all the parading of the United Nations and the G8s and G7s and every, all the other Gs what they have. And friends, see all the nations of the world, they're just a drop in the bucket. Now I'm in Babylon, and someone's beginning to share this word with me. He said, this is who the God is that we serve. This is who he is. He goes on to say, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All the nations before him are as nothing, and they're counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you prepare, compare unto him? Verse 25, to whom then will you liken me? Or who is my equal? Who's like God this morning? Who is like Jesus this morning? Bring all your gods from all your nations, from all your pagan practices. And he's saying, who's like me this morning? Friends, there's nobody like Jesus this morning. There's no one like, there's nobody like our God that we serve. And so he says, who would you lift up your eyes? Now you'll find in these opening chapters, he starts to say, lift up your eyes. Then he says, lift up your voice. And then he says, you need to sing a song. How do you sing a song in a strange land? We're sitting by the rivers of Babylon when we sat down and we're weeping when we remembered Zan. Is God able to get us back? Is God able to restore my family? Is God able to break through in my life financially? Is God able to get me out of all of this mess I'm in? God's able. That's what he's saying. And so he says, lift up your eyes. Behold who has created these things that bring us out their host by number. He call us all by names the greatness of his might. For that he is strong of power and not one faileth. 
He knows the name of every star in the sky, and there's billions of them. So he begins to speak to a people that are greatly discouraged, to remind them of who he is. Isaiah 43, we read it this morning, we turn over. Isaiah 43, verse 14, he says, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down their nobles and the Chaldees who cry on the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel. I am your King. Thus saith the Lord, what does he do? Now, what's he reminding them of? Just what I'm trying by the help of God, that they remind you of what God's done in the past. He's telling them, what's God done for you in the past? What does he say? He made a way in the sea. So he's reminding them now of his character. I made a way when there was... Do you remember what I'd done to your fathers? I made a way for them when there was no way. I made a path in the mighty waters. I bring forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. I destroyed every one of them. They all lie down and they're completely obliterated. That's what I've done. In verse 19, then he says, I behold, I'm going to do a new thing, and it shall spring forth, and shall ye not know it? I'll even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so he begins to say, This is who I am this morning. You've got to know who you believe in and who you're persuaded by in this day. This is my character. And see everything that's happening in this world. You think it's, I know they think it's spinning out of control, but I want to tell you, he's got it all in control. He's got it all in control. He's the almighty God. He is sovereign above all the nations. He raises up and he pulls down. God's in control this morning. So now his mission, he begins to tell him who he is, but now he says, this is what his mission's going to be. So we find out his character, his person, but now what's his mission? What's he going to do? What's he like? How does he do it? Well, if you turn over again to Isaiah chapter 40, you're going to find something about the very person of Jesus. How many people believe this morning that Jesus hasn't changed? The Bible tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I'm reading this this morning, I know it's to Israel. But friends, I've heard people say, well, it's nothing to do with us. That's all. This is everything to do with us because this is the same Jesus. This book from Genesis to Revelation, what's it about? Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And his dealings with his people. So now we see his character, and now we hear and read of his mission. His mission would be to reach a broken world, and he tells us what he's going to do. Isaiah 40, verse 11. It says there, this is what he's going to do. My friend, this morning, listen, this is directly applicable to you. So I want you to read it carefully this morning. And, and I know through these verses that different ones are going to find strength in God's word this morning. He'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the, 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 the lambs with his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And see all you mummies with wee ones. See all the mummies this morning. Listen, this is what the Word of God says. It was hard to get out. You know, it was hard to get out on Sunday morning. It is hard. Get them all ready. Get them all dressed. Keep the house going. Sometimes it's stressful. Sometimes you're tired. Let me encourage the mummies this morning. He's going to gently lead those that have young. This is Jesus this morning we're talking about. So when you're tired and you're weary and the ironing's... I'm just being practical. The ironing, you just don't want to open the cupboard because it all falls out. You understand? I don't know anything about that, but I know it's, it's a major thing, right? When, when we can't get all done what we want to get done, when it's a busy day, when it's hard, when it's difficult. This is real life, isn't it? This, this is tomorrow morning. 
This is what happens. Remember what it's like when the wee ones, I know what they tell us it's the best days when they're around your feet. Actually, that's true. But it's not easy either, sure it's not. And so when the mummies have their wee ones, here's what Jesus says, I'm going to just gently lead you along. I'll be with you. You're starting to see something about this great God this morning. He's concerned with every detail of your life. He's concerned with tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and the pressures that you face. He says, I'm going to just gently lead you along because I'm your good shepherd. He says to the faint and the weary in Isaiah 40 and 29, those that are tired and weary in mind, this is what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to give power to the faint. Is there anyone in this room this morning that just feel that they... They're just going to feel that they can't go on, that they're maybe going to just give up. They're so tired and weary, maybe perhaps of difficulties and trials. He says, I'm going to give power to the faint, to them that have no might. I'm going to increase their strength. Young people, he says, shall faint and be weary. Young men will fall, but they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. He's going to give power to those that are faint. Is this a plan to me and you? Or is this just the way back in 700 BC? Is that to do with, or is this to do with us today? It's everything to do with us today. This is Jesus he's talking about. To the weak, he's going to give strength. Isaiah 41 and 10, he says, Fear thou not. Fear, don't fear. When there's fear, when people are filled with fear, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power and of love and of a sound mind. But Jesus says and whispers into your heart today, this is our Jesus. Fear thou not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed, I am thy God. I'm going to strengthen you, saint of God. I'm going to help you. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You might feel that you can't make it, but you're going to make it because I'll bring you through. That's what he's saying. He'll hold you when fear comes. And Isaiah 41 and verse 13, For I, the Lord thy God, do you know what he says he'll do? I'm going to hold your right hand. Isn't that awesome this morning? See, when you just don't know where to go or where to turn to, and you just put out your hand to God, this is what he says, I'm going to take your right hand, and I'm going to bring you through all of this. I'm going to deliver you out of all of this, saying unto you, fear not. Anybody need God's help this morning? He says, I'm going to help you. That's what he said. Think about it. You said, I need help this morning. Jesus says, I'll help you. I'll take you by the right hand. I'm going to walk you through all of this. I'll be with you through all the storms. I'll never leave you. You've got to know who you believed in and be persuaded. He says, I'll hold you. And he says, not only will I hold you, he says, I'm going to make you effective. I'm going to make you effective. And this is so important, Isaiah 41. He says to a people that are completely destroyed, discouraged, and pressed down, he says, Behold, in verse 15, I'll make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. I visited someone the other day, doesn't come to church, and I was sitting talking to them for a wee while, and they said to me, Are they your own teeth? And I said, I hope so. <laughs> They're nobody else's. Listen, he's going to make, he said, I'm going to make you a threshing instrument and you got teeth. You know, you got your own teeth and there may not all be your own, but they're speaking here of, thou shalt thresh. What does he say? You're going to thresh mountains. I tell you, friends, we've got mountains all around us. We have got giants in the land. We have mountains. We have things that are impossible. We have things that we're up against in our homes and our families. It looks as though it's 
dead and gone and there's no hope in it. But God says, I'm going to make you effective. I'm going to make you a threshing instrument. You're going to say to your mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make you effective. And friends, the church needs to be effective. It's because of the church being so lukewarm and dead and asleep and and, and barren and, and broken all around us. Friends, if you hear one more split or one more breakdown or one more fallout, surely to God it's not that we're saying we're anything or they're anything. We're all the body of Christ. But surely it's the hour for the church to rise up in the power of God and be effective. To be effective. God said, I'm going to make, this is what God can do. In a night, God can turn this whole thing around and do a new thing. And the church is effective. It'd be salty, it'd be light. Because if it loses its salt, it's no no fact then. Well, you're just those, you know, we're talking to Brother Joshua about those Jehovah Witnesses, a cult. That's what they are, friend. They're a cult. They have a false gospel. And they're everywhere. They're in Ghana. They're all over Ghana. They're all over the world to set up that little stand, that little stall. They're committed. They're, they're out there. They're, they're reaching people. They're knocking doors. And friends, we as a church have the truth of Jesus Christ. We have the reality of God. This God is our God. They're preaching a false gospel. And yet the church is just asleep and fighting with itself. But God's going to make it effective, not because of us, but because of his name. Because hard is to see of people. He says, I'll make you effective. You'll thresh the mountains. You'll beat them small. And it shall make the hills even as chaff. Uh, it was quoted in prayer just the other night. I was so encouraged. But listen, friends, he's going to make provision for those that are going through a really dry, difficult time. Whether it's spiritually or whether it's uh, financially or circumstantially. But in Isaiah 41 and verse 17, this is Jesus. When the poor... And the needy seek water. And there's none. There is no water. And their tongue feels for thirst. What does he say? I the Lord. I will hear them. I the God of Israel. I'll not forsake them. And know what I'm going to do? He says, I'm going to open rivers in the high places. Fountains in the midst of valleys. I'm going to make the wilderness a pool of water. And the dry land the springs of water. This is what Jesus can do. He turns it all around in the midst of dryness, deadness. Have you gone through a barren season for a long time? Some may be months, but you might be sitting here this morning and say it's been a barren season even for years. For years. Sitting in the house of God, just barren. You're not out in pubs and clubs and living it up. You're not an addict. By the grace of God, you're saved today. You're you're delivered. You love the Lord. You do all the, the right things and you follow him in his word. But you've just come to a barren place. You're like the poor and the needy and you're seeking water, but you don't seem to find it. Your tongue feels. You know, have you ever had a really dry mouth? It's awful, isn't it? You just... God says, I'm not going to forsake you. No, no, I'm not going to forsake you. Because I'm going to open rivers and high places. I'm about to do a new thing. I'm going to open those fountains in the midst of valleys. He says, I'll make the wilderness a pool of water. I'm going to turn this season. That's who I am. And I haven't changed in all these years. To the broken and the bruised, Isaiah 42, verse 1. 
It says this, speaking of Jesus, my servant, whom I behold mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth, I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth victory to the Gentiles, judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Verse 3 says this. Listen this morning. Bruised. And it's about to go out. It's just a flickering light. And maybe even at that, do you know when that candle, you blow it out, you still see a little glow. And there's just a wee trail of smoke coming up. It could so easily be snuffed out. And this is what he says, but see the bruised reed? I'm not going to break that. See the smoking flax? I'm not going to put that out. I'm going to bring victory to you. I'm going to come to you. I, the Lord, verse 6, he says, I've called thee in righteousness. I'll hold your hand. I'll keep you. I'll give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light to the Gentiles. I'll tell you what I'll do. And as I've been praying for this week of missions, I'm going to open the blind eyes, going to bring the prisoners out of prison, them to sit in darkness out of the prison house. I'm the Lord. That's my name. My glory will I give to none other, neither my praise to graven images. When you come into those great times of trouble, this is what he said in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. He says, Thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, that formed thee, O Israel. He just says, Fear not, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by thy name. You belong to me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, those rivers aren't going to overflow. When you walk through the fire, when you walk through the fire, you're not going to be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord your God, I'm the Holy One of Israel. I'm your Savior. And friends, he hasn't changed. I'm the way maker. I'm the one that makes the way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. And if you have sinned as a Christian and you're battling maybe sin in Isaiah 43 and verse 25, he says, I, even I, I'm the one that will blot out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I will not remember your sins anymore. Has Jesus changed? When you're seeking the Lord and are longing, this is the whole new thing that he's going to bring in this dispensation. But friends, he says in Isaiah 44 and verse 3, for those that truly are longing to be filled with the Holy Ghost and with power, He says, I'm going to pour water on him that's thirsty. He says, I'm going to pour those waters and and floods upon the dry ground. And I'm going to pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. I want to tell you, do you know who you believe in? And are you persuaded this morning? Not by the persuasion of intellect or a great sermon. Are you persuaded by the word of God? I'll pour water upon the thirsty, floods on the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon thy seed. Behold, he said, I'll do a new thing. Can we trust them? Can we trust Jesus for a new thing? Friends, I believe that the church needs a new thing. It's the same, but it's fresh. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
It's not a new method, not a new way, not a new program, not a new idea, not a new thing that we get off the net. But friends, we need the freshness of his presence and his power. And these are here for our admonition and our example. Well, I encourage you this morning, saint of God, for bowing the hinge for the mission this week, for the church moving forward in revival power. You know that sign I visited again in Coleraine. We were up staying in Portrush. They would go down to Coleraine, always head to the town hall. And I go up to that plaque, and that plaque was put up by the ministers of, of the town to commemorate the, uh, the, the revival of 1859 and the 150-year anniversary they put a plaque up to commemorate what God had done when he gave his days of continual Pentecost. Continual Pentecost. That's not a denomination, friend. That was when God came down and visited. Day after day, the brooding and the sense of the Holy Spirit. Friends, he hasn't changed how we need a new thing in these days. Give us days of continual Pentecost again. Give us something fresh. That's his presence. Let us be those witnesses to what he's about to do. And he says, now lift up your eyes. And he says, and lift up your voice. And you didn't know what he said in Isaiah 42, verse 10. Just sing unto the Lord a new song. How do you sing? The songs of victory in a strange land. You sing the songs of Zion. Praise him from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea at all that are therein, the isles and the inhabitants. Let the wilderness and the cities lift up their voice. The villages of Kedar doth inhabit. Let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord. Let them declare his praise in the islands. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. What a mighty God we serve. Friends, do you know whom you believed in? And are you persuaded? I pray that we're persuaded by nothing else but his word. What a mighty God we serve. The comforter has come. Let's stand together this morning.